Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. Hello everyone, this is Michael Diamante, Clinical Nutritionist. Today we're going to be discussing minerals and their effects on the immune system. I would like to start out by first explaining some basics here. Uh, Minerals are native to the body. The body does not make minerals. The body must consume minerals from outside sources. And minerals coact with different vitamins to perform different functions in the body. There are basically two types of mineral. One is called a macro mineral. These are minerals which you have large amounts of in the body. These would be calcium, magnesium, sodium, and potassium. And then we have trace minerals. And trace minerals are minerals that you have trace amounts, smaller amounts in the body. Both are equally important and equally valid, but they are found in different levels or different amounts. Now, minerals act in different ways on the body. Some minerals are components of the immune system itself, and these minerals act to produce immune substances like white blood cells, antibodies, antigens, interferon, many different substances that work in the immune system. And there are other minerals which actually have an effect directly on microorganisms. We're going to start with bacteria as the first group. There are certain nutrients which are just naturally antibacterial. Uh, on the mineral side, we find calcium and vitamin D, well, I'm sorry, calcium and copper as being highly antibacterial. Magnesium also is antibacterial, and magnesium is particularly uh, an antibiotic to Mercer and Staph aureus. There are nutrients which would align with the mineral to help its function as an antibacterial. And primarily in the vitamin kingdom, that would be vitamin D and to a lesser extent vitamin E would combine with calcium and copper to have this antibacterial effect. So this would mean if someone had a bacterial infection taking calcium and copper would help their body to overcome the bacterial infection faster. 
Now on the viral side, we have zinc as the primary antiviral nutrient. We found that magnesium also has a dual effect. It has an antibacterial effect, as I just stated, but it does have some antiviral effects. But in the body, zinc is the primary mineral, which is an antiviral. As far as anti-yeast nutrients go, copper is a typical ingredient in many uh, types of substances which are sold commercially to put in swimming pools to kill algae and mold and different types of fungal growth. And copper also has, to some degree, an antifungal effect in our own bodies. Selenium also, which you find in different topical shampoos that deal with fungus or uh, fungal problems on the scalp, typically head and shoulders, contains selenium. Selenium is one of the active ingredients, and as a mineral, selenium is highly antifungal or anti-yeast. Now what's interesting is that these nutrients or these minerals also can have an opposite effect on the immune system and on the microorganism. Calcium and copper, while are antibacterial, tend to be viral activators. This means that calcium and copper aggravate viruses. If you have a virus in your system and you take too much of a calcium or copper supplement, you could antagonize the virus and actually speed up its replication, which of course is very bad. This is also true of nickel and cadmium, where these are direct viral activators. So if someone is suffering with long-term chronic viruses, uh, like Epstein-Barr or something, we would test them for cadmium and nickel to see if they have a an excess in their system, and that could explain why the virus would refuse to go away. Mercury and arsenic tend to be both viral and yeast activators. They uh, both enhance the environment in the body, which allows viruses and yeast to grow and to multiply. So each mineral has a different effect directly on the microorganism or has an effect on the immune system itself. When you add them all up, they work as a unit together, but individually, they work in categories, as you see, depending on what type of infection we're referring to, whether it's bacterial, whether it's yeast or fungal, whether it's viral. These minerals also then affect your endocrine system meaning that they would then affect hormones. Zinc being an antiviral mineral has a correlation with progesterone as a hormone and also to a degree with testosterone as a hormone. Copper being antifungal and antibacterial has a relationship with estrogen as a hormone. And many hormones do divvy up in this way. Uh, calcium and copper 
relate with estrogen. They're, they are somewhat simpatical. Um, dealing with the... Well, the, these are essentially the three basic hormones we're, we're looking at. Estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And they work at with those minerals that I mentioned. Other minerals, uh, like, for instance, adrenal hormones, like cortisol doesn't actually pair directly with any, with any of these minerals. But the reproductive hormones definitely do. So, and when you take the minerals, or when you take the hormones, you're actually aiding the hormone or the mineral that it works with. Now what's important to know here is that if you're working with somebody who has a chronic bacterial infection, you don't necessarily want to give them any nutrients which antagonize or block the effects of calcium and copper as minerals. The nutrients that would tend to block calcium and copper potentially could be magnesium if taken in a high enough dose. Certainly could be potassium, because potassium is a direct antagonist to uh, potassium. So you could even look at it as though there's a ratio. We have a ratio of calcium to potassium. This ratio of calcium to potassium in your tissues helps regulate your thyroid hormone. How your thyroid hormone is working. But also, if you're looking at it from the, uh, the immune system side, calcium would be representing an antibacterial and the potassium could be representing an antiviral function. If we're dealing with a virus, you wouldn't want to give a person excess copper or calcium because that would affect adversely the functions of zinc, which is the primary antiviral mineral in the body. So there is a seesaw effect, you can see, in dealing with these elements. In the immune system, all the different nutrients are needed in order for the immune system to work, for it to produce different antibodies and white blood cells and whatnot, and for it to work in a balance. Because we do have to have a proper balance. Otherwise, if the immune system goes uh, far to one way or another and is out of balance, you have an abnormality in the immune system, which could easily add to an autoimmune condition. So this is not something we want, of course. Why it's important to understand how minerals affect the immune system is because Primarily, supplementation is such a common thing nowadays. There are so many people taking supplements, which in one side is good, but in another side is bad, because most of the people who are taking all these supplements don't know if they really need them. They, they don't test themselves to see if they need them, and that can be a huge problem. Testing is what makes the difference between a person 
taking things and running the gamble of making themselves worse, or at least, at the very least, just wasting their money because they're taking things they don't need, and a person taking supplements which actually target their weaknesses and really do help them. And this is a, a repeated theme you're gonna, you'll hear on all the podcasts because it's a basis of the nutritional work that my practice has been doing for all these years. It's the foundation of it is based in testing because everyone is different. No one biochemically is the same. And the only way you can accurately, uh, let's say, target a person's weaknesses is by first finding out what they are and then supplementing in the correct manner. So if a person, let's say, and I'll, I'll give you, there are some real life cases here. A person, let's say, has Epstein-Barr virus. And of course they're taking a multitude of supplements because they read all the health magazines and read all the books and they listen to Gary Knoll and they're on television uh, watching all the health programs that are on and whatnot. It's, it would make perfect sense that they're probably going to have calcium supplement in their regime. Now, if they're taking more calcium than their body is going to utilize, that calcium is going to build up in their tissues, despite what supplement companies would want you to believe. It will build up in your tissues, and it will cause an activation of the virus. So if a person is fighting viruses fighting viruses, fighting viruses, year after year, and it seems like what they do just doesn't work, the first thing you would want to look at is, well, are they taking excessive amounts of nutrients, which are viral activators? So you'd look at the supplements they're taking. Are they taking copper? Or are they taking calcium? Okay, that may not be so good. That could be activating their virus. Are they exposed to copper as a toxic element, or cadmium, nickel, arsenic, mercury, any of those elements as toxins, which even though those elements are coming from an external source, they're entering their body and they are stimulating the replication of the virus. This is how one would apply this information that we're learning. And it's not uncommon that you're gonna find it very common that when you look at a mineral pattern of someone who has a chronic virus or a chronic yeast condition, you're, you will find they will have very excessive levels of calcium and magnesium in their tissues relative to sodium and potassium. Sodium and potassium will be relatively low to a high level of calcium and magnesium. And it's very common to find them with elevated copper if we're looking at milligrams percent, it's not unusual to find the copper way above 6 milligrams percent, sometimes up to 15 or 20 milligrams percent, and also find them with very low levels of selenium and molybdenum. This is typical for a person who suffers with chronic yeast, and the basis of that same pattern you'll find in someone with a chronic virus. Uh, but for the virus person to be more precise, very common you will find elevated calcium and magnesium with sodium and potassium relatively low. 
you'll find elevated copper, low levels of zinc, and you easily will find elevated levels of cadmium, nickel, mercury, or arsenic. In a person who suffers with a chronic bacterial infection, it's more common that you'll find very low levels of calcium and magnesium with higher levels of sodium and potassium. And you'll find low copper in their tissues. Where the iron will be is interesting. And that deserves special note. Iron is involved in bacterial infections in interesting ways. Part of the body's natural defense against bacteria is to use copper and use iron as weapons against the bacteria. It's very typical that when you have someone with a chronic bacterial infection, you'll find the copper the uh, sorry the iron levels in their tissues elevated. Sometimes finding elevated iron in the person is a hint that they're suffering with some type of chronic bacterial infection. The reason why this is seems to be that the body sequesters iron out of the bloodstream and puts it in the tissues because iron may be dependent for the growth of many bacteria and as iron would further the growth of the bacteria we could argue that this might be a defense mechanism of the body that it would pull the iron away and store it in the tissues and maybe even store it to an excess we could say that the person had maybe even a mild bacterial uh, I'm sorry copper or iron toxicity in the blood we'd have a different story but essentially I've been talking to you not from the viewpoint of blood work but from the viewpoint of the tissue level. The blood is not consistent with these things, so you're, you're apt not to find anything that I've been referring to here consistent in the blood. The blood is a method or a mode of trans, transportation of, of nutrients and elements, so you're not apt, apt to find any kind of stability in these mineral patterns that I'm quoting here in a blood test you're more apt to find uh, this, these patterns showing up in a urinary 24-hour, uh, let's say, mineral test, or particularly in a hair mineral analysis, which is reflecting the tissues. And that's the, the hair mineral analysis is the more reliable way to determine the mineral pattern in the, in the tissues. When you take a blood test, it's showing you what's in the blood at that given time, which could change hour to hour. A urine test is showing you what the body is excreting. The hair, however, is showing you what the body has in storage, and that's more of what's in the savings account, and that's more of the actual pattern in the tissues that you're going to find. So once again, an application of knowing the minerals and how they relate to the immune system we know that if we have a chronic infection, if it's viral, we uh, do not want to take calcium and copper as supplements. We would more want to take zinc. And as we look further into understanding minerals and how they pair with vitamins, zinc's first um, cooperative vitamin would be vitamin A.
when you start looking at immune system formulas that they sell in the health food stores, this will become more apparent and become more obvious to you. Zinc would partner more with vitamin A and to a lesser degree with vitamin C as an antiviral. Whereas an antibacterial, antibacterial calcium and copper would partner more with vitamin D. And there's a big difference in how these nutrients work. But there we have, if we're looking at it as a sort of a triad, we have calcium, copper, vitamin D as the antibacterial. We have zinc, vitamin A, and vitamin C as the antiviral. As an anti-yeast or antifungal, we'd be looking at copper, selenium, and perhaps molybdenum as a, as a triad that would have a, an anti-yeast effect on the system. So this is very simple. This is important data. Uh, simple but very important because someone could be completely booby-trapping their entire treatment if they're taking excessive supplements which are imbalancing their system. And this unfortunately is very common because I said before, people tend not to do adequate testing to determine the levels of the nutrients they need. If someone takes vitamin C and they take it in excess, the vitamin C could cause a copper deficiency. The copper deficiency that they now have could make them more susceptible to chronic bacterial infections. If someone had a bacterial infection and they understood that copper is something that would help their body fight it, and they started taking a copper supplement, and they took this for many years as a way to fight off their let's say natural weakness, they could cause a zinc deficiency. And in causing a zinc deficiency, they now make themselves more susceptible to viral infections. And we can go around this as though it was a wheel to show how taking too much of any one nutrient will cause a deficiency of a different one. Vitamin B1, for instance, is known to lower calcium. If someone took a lot of B1 without taking calcium to balance it, they can end up with a calcium deficiency. Vitamin B6 helps the body to utilize magnesium. And we see there's a similar effect. If you took excess B6, you could cause a loss of magnesium. So in this way, when we don't understand what we're taking as far as nutrients, you could overtake a nutrient which is going to adversely affect your system and particularly your immune system. An old story that I've probably told a million times is when I was first um, practicing as a nutritionist on Long Island in Valley Stream, I had a doctor call me who was referred by an associate of mine who had this prostate problem. He described the prostate problem as being very bad about three or four years ago until he discovered zinc. He read in a, an article about how zinc was beneficial to the prostate. So he started taking 50 milligrams of zinc every day 
and his prostate problem cleared up, and he was doing fine. And he maintained this improvement for at least three years or four years, as I can remember, until I think six months before he called me, the prostate problem started to come back. Now, the zinc had cleared up his original prostate problem, which had been going on for quite some time, in a matter of weeks when he originally started taking the zinc. So he was a bit dumbfounded that the prostate problem was coming back, though he did not stop taking the zinc. So when the prostate problem started to return for this man, he thought to himself, well, well, let me take more zinc. He had already been taking 50 milligrams, and this was the only supplement he was taking, mind you. He was not taking any other type of supplement to balance the 50 milligrams of zinc he was getting. Well, he decided to take 100 milligrams of zinc. And within three days of doing that, he then developed a a raging prostate infection. A colleague had him on antibiotics for this infection, but he was at a complete loss as to, first of all, why his prostate problem came back, and secondly, why it got worse when he raised his, incre- his uh, intake of zinc. And this is how he then found me. Well, I did not have very much experience in those days, but I did have some basic training, which I'm very pleased that I did have, because many nutritionists did not learn their rudimentary uh, effects and co-effects of nutrients the way I was fortunate enough to. So when this man told me his story and told me that he had just increased his zinc and his prostate infection got worse, I told him to immediately stop the zinc and go to the store and buy a copper supplement and to start taking about two or three milligrams of copper twice a day. So he did this. It took a little bit of convincing, but he did this. He called me a week later and told me that when he started taking the copper, within about six hours, his and prostate infection improved, and within a day or two, the prostate infection was gone. Well, when he finally managed to come into the office for an official appointment, we did some testing on him, and we found that his copper levels were grossly deficient from years of taking zinc. Zinc and copper are antagonists to each other. If you take a zinc supplement, and only a zinc supplement, for prolonged periods of time, that zinc supplement eventually will cause a loss of copper and you'll develop a copper deficiency. One of the first symptoms that you develop when you get severe copper deficiency would be bleeding gums, easy uh, bruising very easily, very similar to vitamin C deficiency, and then also bacterial infections. And men, for some reason in particular, when they develop copper deficiency, will get prostate infections. It seems to be one of the more vulnerable areas. So I was able to then show this, this, this doctor this right on the test. And I explained to him how years and years of taking his zinc, which he actually had elevated levels of zinc, they were abnormally high, had caused him a copper depletion. And this is why he then had this problem. Well, this man was quite impressed by this, and he worked with me for many years after that point, doing, uh, let's say, an annual hair mineral test 
in order to adjust his supplements. It took about a year or two to get his system back into normal balance. But he never had any problems like this ever, ever since then. The moral of the story is if you take nutrients without knowing what you're doing, you can create imbalances in other nutrients. And this then makes you ill or gives you a physical symptom. This is one of the best examples I can, I can give because the symptoms were so extreme on, in this man and they were so acute that they responded very quickly to him just changing the nutrients that he was taking since he had only been taking the zinc. It wasn't like he was taking zinc with a multivitamin or with other nutrients which might have in some case had some copper in there to balance it. That was not the case. So it serves as an extreme example. And we've had many examples like this over the years. Particularly, another uh, type to look out for is the person who has low thyroid function who takes calcium supplements. This can be bad for the immune system because calcium blocks your body's utilization of thyroid hormones. So if someone takes a lot of calcium supplements when they have low thyroid, they make their low thyroid worse. And then that has a bad effect on the immune system because the thyroid helps to stimulate the immune system. So the moral of the story at this podcast at this time is that when you take supplements, it's a good idea to take a test to see if it's the supplement that you really need rather than just experimenting because you don't know what type of imbalance you might be creating over the years and years of taking these supplements without having a test and knowing specifically what your levels really are. I hope this has been informative. We're going to be ending off and we will be back live on Thursday to discuss more on the Candida Chronicles. The wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.